0: Welcome to the Word Encounter 208, and today we start our journey into the book of John. In the book of John, we find uh, the final and the fourth gospel, and it was also the uh, last one to be written somewhere. It's presumed to be around AD 89 or AD 90, and with the other gospel books uh, being assumed to be written somewhere in the AD 50s, AD 60s, we see that the book of John is written about 30 years after those uh its author john the apostle it's presumed to be strongly presumed to be john the apostle uh he's the longest surviving apostle and so uh he was born in a.d6 and so this is you know AD 89 AD 90 so he's you know 80 81 years old roughly when the book of john is written and so all of the other apostles have been uh have died by martyrdom or some other means i think most were mar- martyred if not all and so um, we find that John is one of the uh, apostles that was in Jesus's inner circle, the other two being James and Peter. And so there are some details that appear in the book of John that don't appear in the other gospels. And that would stand to reason because uh, it would seem as though that he being one of the inner circle would have you know special access to Jesus uh, that the other authors did not have. And so with that, Let's get into the book of John. And so it says in chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word. And so we're going back to Genesis, -Genesis. pre-Genesis. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. See, the Bible says that the word was God. Who's this word? In verse two, he was with God in the beginning So now the word is being referred to as a person. He he was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. So the word is saying not apart from the word, apart from him, not one thing has ever been created outside of that word. Not one. In him was life and that life was the light of men. So the word him and the light are all being equated. The word him and the light are all the same. Verse six, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. So we see in the first few few verses, uh, the word him and the light are being equated. And it goes on and says that John came to testify about the light so that all may believe through him. So who did John come to testify about? It says the true light that gives light to everyone is coming into the world. So John's purpose was to come in and announce the coming of the light. In verse 10, he was in the world and the world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him. We getting, we getting a deal here. (laughs) Verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh. He, him, the light, the word, flesh. All of this, of course, is pointing to Jesus. And so we see that Jesus was in the beginning. Jesus didn't come about just through Mary. Jesus predated Mary. Jesus was in the beginning. See, Jesus is being called the Word. The Word was with God. In fact, the Word was God. He, Jesus, the light, the Word, God, all the same. (laughs) Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace uh, from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the law can be very impersonal. The law can be very strict, right? And so it's saying here you know, that the law is the law, and that came from Moses. However, the law did not really reveal truth. The law revealed commands, dictates, precepts, concepts, but not truth. Grace and truth or mercy and truth came through jesus christ and so through jesus christ we have the fulfillment of the law we also have an insight into explanation of the law because from truth we can get explanation in verse 18 no one has ever seen god the only one uh, the one and only son who himself is god (laughs) and is at the father's side He has revealed him. And so nobody has ever seen God the Father, but we can see God the Father in his fullness and what he's like when we gaze upon Jesus. Because Jesus is an exact reflection of the Lord. They are, in fact, one. And so this is a hard concept for many, I'm going to say for everybody, to really come to grips with or to understand. You know, separate but the same. And so... John the Baptist's testimony in verse 19. This was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? He didn't deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And so I guess they were asking him, you know, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Who are you? Who exactly are you? In verse 21, they said, what then? They asked him, are you Elijah? I am not, John said. Well, are you a prophet? No, he answered them. <laughs> Well, then, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Uh, So Isaiah had prophesied this, right? And so uh, John is saying, look, I am he that Isaiah prophesied about. I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord. So we see again how New Testament uh, uh, revela- or New Testament events are revealing what was prophesied in the Old Testament. The Lamb of God in verse 29. The next day uh, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. So John is saying, look, after me comes a man, you know, because John was older than Jesus. After me comes a man who ranks above me because he existed before me. So imagine if you were there knowing that John was older than this other guy. And John is saying, no, but he's ahead of me because he came before me. And you've got to be confused. It's like, how can that be? Verse 32, and John testified, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me the one uh, you see the spirit descending and resting on. He is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. See, John baptized in water, but Jesus is baptizing with the Holy Spirit. In verse 25, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him him say this and followed Jesus. So apparently these were two disciples that were two of John's disciples. You see, and John says, look there's Jesus, the Lamb of God. They gaze on Jesus and they immediately leave John and start following Jesus. You think that John's feelings were hurt or whatever? No, because he was there to herald in the coming of the Lord. That's what his assignment was. That's what his job was. When they turned, they gazed on Jesus and they started following him, which is exactly what we should do. So these two disciples were giving us an example. When we gaze on Jesus, what do we do? We follow him. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked, what are you looking for? This is this question has tremendous depth. Jesus turns and sees them in other translations it says, what are you seeking? If that is not a question, you're following me. What, do, what is it that you want? What is it that you're looking for? What is it that you're seeking? What is it that you're after? What is it that you're starved for? What is it? See a lot of people look on Jesus and they want things. You know, they want more money to pay their bills, they want a, a higher lifestyle, they want, you know, a spouse, they want loving relationship, they want something. You know. So Jesus is asking them, "What are you seeking?" Think about that question. What are you seeking when you gaze upon Jesus? They said to him, the response was weird to me, and I don't really get their response. They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? <laughs> so they asked him, he asked them a very poignant, very deep question, one that takes some serious inner contemplation, soul searching, you know, and instead of telling them what they were seeking, they say, Where are you staying? You know, well, maybe they were seeking to know where he stayed so they could provide him somewhere to stay. I don't know. But it just seems to me to be a weird, a weird response. In verse 39, come and you'll see, he replied. So they followed him and saw where he was staying. In verse 40, Andrew, Simon, uh, Simon, Peter's brother. So this is Peter's brother. Andrew was one of the two who heard John and followed him. So Andrew heard about this. And then he followed Jesus, too. He gazed on Jesus or he heard about it. He said, oh, follow. Verse 41. He first followed his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated to the Christ. And he brought um, and he brought uh, Simon to Jesus. And so let me read this again. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated to the Christ. And he brought uh, Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated to Peter. Jesus gazed upon Simon. He says, currently you are Simon. He says, you are Simon, son of John. But you will be called Cephas. Your destiny is Cephas. Peter means, or Cephas translated means the rock. He says, your destiny is the rock. Currently you are Simon, but you will be uh, renamed and you will be called Peter because your destiny is to be the rock. Philip and Nathaniel in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can, any, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel Nathanael asked him. And so he, he said, um, uh, so they, they, they come upon, um, you know, Philip finds Nathanael and Philip tells him what the deal is. And so Nathanael's first response is, what good comes out of, you know, Uh, Nazareth. And and so pick whatever city you think is down and out and wherever you are, wherever you live, is some desolate place in your mind. And you might be thinking, "What, what good can come out of that place? Well, that's how Nathaniel responded. And Philip said, come and see. Then Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said about him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And so we had Nathanael saying, what good can come out of Nazareth? And then he gazes upon Jesus. Jesus sees him. And Jesus says, here's a man in whom there's no deceit. Think about how Nathanael had to respond to that. It's like, what, huh, what? He was doubting about any good thing coming out of, um, of Nazareth. And then his first meeting with Jesus, Jesus proclaims that there's no deceit in you. I know you and you have no deceit in you. Verse 48, Nathanael says, how do you know me? Jesus says, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Rabbi, (laughs) now Nathanael's tune is is changed. Now he's calling him Rabbi. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So what good can come out of Israel turns into, oh my God, you are the king of Israel. You are the son of God. Jesus responded to him. Do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? Do you believe because, you know, I I gave a demonstration of my power to you? And then he says, you will see greater things than this. You you think that was something you're going to see things uh, that are even greater than that. In verse 51, then he said, truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. I can only imagine what the uh, what the disciples or the apostles were thinking uh, when Jesus was essentially reading their private mail and telling them about themselves and them wondering, how do you know this? Chapter two, the first sign, turning water into wine. So Jesus and his mother were at a, a wedding and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus's mother told them, they don't have any wine. Jesus' response. Every time I read this, I'm like, "Huh?" In verse four, it says, "What has this concern of yours to do with me, woman?" He's talking to his mother. <laughs> My hour has not yet come. So he, he, he's, he's, you know, without, without, uh, you know, any any video of this event, with no indication of voice inflection, tone, or anything. We don't know how this how this uh, actually played out, but just in text only form, it just, you know why is this a concern of mine, woman? It just sounds weird. And then it says, my hour has not yet come. So he's telling his mother, he's informing, he's educating his mother. I can't really do anything publicly to be seen right now because I can't really reveal who I really am to the public yet because my time has not yet come. It's not time for that yet. However, maybe I'll do something, you know, clandestine. Maybe I'll do something behind the scenes in secret. It says in verse six, now six stones of water jars, had been uh, set there for Jewish purification, uh, each containing 20 to 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled the jars, he told the servants that were working there. Uh, So they filled them to the brim, and he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. They did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though his servants who had drawn the water knew. The servants knew where the wine came from, but the head waiter didn't, and he wouldn't know because, again, it wasn't time for Jesus. He called the groom and told him, uh, everyone sets out the fine wine first, then after the people are drunk, the inferior, but you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus didn't just turn the water into wine. He turned the water into outstanding wine. You know, He turned the water into the best wine. Not just any old wine, but the best wine. In verse 11, Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So he revealed some supernatural power to his disciples and those servants who were working. And then it says the disciples believed in him. It, makes it, it, it indicates to me the implication is they believed in him after they witnessed a, um, a sign and a miracle. See. But we'll see G- uh, later on where Jesus tells us that those coming after them will be greater because they will not have the, um, the, the advantage of seeing the signs and the miracles, yet they still believe. <sighs> cleansing the temple. We, we get some more details that we didn't get in the other accounts of cleansing the temple in the other gospels. The Jewish Passover, Passover was near, and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people Selling oxen, sheep, and doves He also found found the money changers Sitting there Uh, The implications in this verse are uh, In the temple he found people Selling at exorbitantly high prices Oxen, sheep, and doves He also found the money changers uh, With exchange rates That were outrageous Changing money And so not only was commerce Being conducted in the temple Also the way it was being conducted Was not right They were gouging people. In verse 15, it says, and this this also doesn't appear in the other accounts. It says, after making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. Now, it sounds to me like Jesus made a whip and then started just going house on, on people and things with regard to get out of my temple. He drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered that it is written zeal for your house will consume me. You see, so. It is written in Psalm 69, 9, that zeal for your house will consume me. So this is this is Jesus being consumed with the zeal of the Lord, the zeal of the things of his father. And what he's seeing is not right. And so he is justifiably angry. This is a righteous indignation. Get out of here. You are desecrating this place. Down to verse 23, while he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Again, we had the same reaction that the disciples had. People believed in him when they saw the signs and wonders. You see, You Verse 24, Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. <laughs> see, and so... It says here again, while he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw these signs and wonders. However, Jesus's reaction was that he did not trust what he was seeing. He did not trust that they were truly believing since he knew them all. He knew how fickle people were. He knew that what they felt today could change easily tomorrow. He knew that what they felt today could change easily in the matter of a few hours. He knew their hearts. He knew them. So he didn't entrust that they really had changed their wicked ways. In verse 25, and because they did not need anyone to test about, and because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. He didn't need anybody to teach him about how men are, because he already knew the heart of man. He knew that he couldn't trust what he was witnessing as far as the supposed conversion and acceptance of who he was and what he was preaching. He knew he couldn't do that because he knew man. He knows us. He's fully man. He knows us. (laughs) Let's see. Let's go on to chapter three. Jesus and Nicodemus, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform these signs. You do unless God were with them. Okay, that sounds reasonable. In verse three, Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He just he just bypassed what Nicodemus said. He went to he went to the crux of the issue. He says, truly, I I tell you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus has a reasonable response. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless someone is baptized and unless someone has the Holy Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He can't even probably see the kingdom of God. In verse six, it says, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit, spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So Jesus has given a practical example. The wind blows and you can hear it, but you can't see it. And you don't know where it came from. And you don't know where its eventual destination is. Same way with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that's in us. You know, we hearken on to it. We can hear it. We, we, it tugs on us. We don't know where it came from, but we yield to it or we should yield to it anyway. <laughs> so it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can these things be? Asked Nicodemus. You are a teacher of Israel. In some uh, translations it says you are the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things. Truly, I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen. He's essentially telling Nicodemus, you don't know anything and you can't testify anything because you haven't seen anything. But you don't accept uh, you don't accept our testimony is what Jesus is saying. I'm here testifying of the scripture of the Old Testament scriptures, but you don't accept it. Verse 12. If I told you about um, earthly things and you and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? This is the things that are right in front of your face that are easy to know and comprehend. You don't believe them. So I can't begin to tell you about heavenly things. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the son of man. No one has ascended into heaven except me is what Jesus is saying. In verse 14, um, let's see. In Numbers chapter 21 through uh, uh, verses 4 through 9 is where we find this. It says, uh, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in his wilderness, or in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And so some snakes were sent into the camp of Israel for their, uh, for their unrighteousness and wickedness, and they were biting Israelites, and they were dying. They became afraid. They appealed to Moses. Moses had them make a bronze snake uh, on a staff, and he says, oh, God had Moses make this. And then God said, uh, told Moses to tell the people, anyone who gazes upon the head of the snake, if they're bit, they'll be healed. And so Jesus is saying, like, like that example, Though you know, if I be lifted up, you see, then everyone who believes in me may have eternal life. For God this is a famous John three sixteen, you know, famous scripture, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. See that on signs and sports arenas and whatnot. And in verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You know, Jesus appears harsh sometimes, but his assignment is to save us. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and the only son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. And so this is why people reject Jesus today. It says people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. See? For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Jesus and John the Baptist in verse 22 after this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. John was also baptized in Anon uh, near Salem because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized. Then a dispute broke. <laughs> this is just like people. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. Uh, so they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who uh, and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is going to him. So they're telling John, John, everybody's supposed to come to you, but they're going to that Jesus guy instead. John's response is awesome. It says he who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete is, is complete. John says he must increase but I must decrease. The one from heaven, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. It says in verse 34, for the one who God, who God sent speaks God's words since he gave him the spirit without measure God gave Jesus the spirit with no limitations. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. To reject Jesus is serious business. To reject Jesus isn't just some light thing to do. The word says, but the one who rejects the son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Don't let that be you. And with that, we are done for today. Everybody stay safe, be blessed, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And should he not come between now and tomorrow, and if he grants me another day of life, we will see you tomorrow in the Word Encounter, episode 209. Bye-bye.